Welcome to Mindset and Muscles with Amanda. I am your host, Amanda Ferlisi. Welcome back. Welcome. If this is your first time listening, I have Garrett back on for our physical therapy series. I don't know if anyone watched or listened to last week. His wife, his lovely wife was on. Um, we had a blast. So I decided to trade them back in. So now I have Garrett back in. So Garrett, welcome back. How's everything going? It's good to be back. Uh, things are going well. Um, yeah, my wife had a great time talking through pelvic health uh, while I was on dad duty. So I think it was, she liked it for two reasons. One, she got to talk shop and two, she didn't, she, I was taking care of the kids. So win-win for everybody, right? And now uh, you need a nap still. <laughs> and now I need a nap. But yeah, things are going good and I'm glad, I'm glad to be back and glad to be here. Awesome. So we have a very uh, serious conversation today. Not that not all of them are serious, but so I've been experiencing shoulder pain and I probably had shoulder pain on and off since before you and I even met. And I think it's really important to talk about shoulder pains. Obviously, like we can't, no, we, Garrett can't diagnose you with what you may or may not have, but I think it's really important to talk about the shoulder, how it functions, different tendons and different muscles that are responsible for certain push pull movements and things like that, because the last week I've had some serious shoulder pain, specifically in my left shoulder, because all of my pains on my left side and he dry needled me, which, you know, is my favorite, uh, did it into my neck, into my shoulder, into my supraspinatus muscle. And when I tell you that feeling was kind of crazy. So Garrett, please walk us through the different muscles and tendons and basically how the shoulder works. And then we'll get into like pain and what we may or may not be experiencing. All right. Um, so starting at the beginning, um, the, the shoulder joint is comprised of the, the long upper arm bone, the humerus, and its attachment or its connection with the scapula, so through the glenoid. <clears throat> that joint surface is what we know as the shoulder, and it is controlled, we'll say very simplistically, by the rotator cuff muscles, which provide very local stability at that joint. Um, so we have the supraspinatus, the infraspinatus, the teres minor, and the subscapularis, which basically provide three dimensions of, of stability at that joint itself. Um, these are the muscles that people hear about when an older person falls and has to get rotator cuff repair. One of those is probably gone. Um, baseball players have shoulder of rotator cuff implications pretty consistently. Um, <clears throat> interestingly, it's also a, a, a complex that can tolerate one of or multiple of its muscles having a tear or being less than at 100% and the shoulder can still function. So from my perspective, from a lot of PTs perspective, that shoulder joint itself is important in measuring how how, how much and how well movement is coming from that joint. Um, but the bigger picture is how it is actually looking at the shoulder blade in relation to the rib cage, because that, that relationship will dictate which direction the glenoid or the joint surface is pointing, mm -hmm. which will influence how the lower arm or the upper arm bone is able to be positioned at rest and how it could influence your symptoms via push pull or overhead movement um so hold on can we break that down simply because yeah. i know kind of what you're saying like i know obviously i had to study anatomy um yeah. but 
So when you're looking at, we're talking about the back, like the backside of you, because some people aren't going to know what you mean. So the backside, so the scapula is the, why am I drawing a blank? Shoulder blade. So just everyone knows. Um, So can you talk a little bit like what the glenoid is like? Because visually, like, I don't know if people can pick up on what you're saying. Yeah. So if I'm looking at somebody from the back, I'm standing behind them. I'm looking at someone's back. The two shoulder blades are your scapula. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the shoulder blades have a socket, which is called the glenoid fossa, mm-hmm. where the humerus, which is the long arm bone, attach. So the shoulder blade attaches to the arm via the glenoid. The shoulder blade's angle and position on the rib cage will influence where that attachment lands on the arm, right? Mm-hmm. So if so if my rib cage or my posture is off, the position where that shoulder joint likes to land is going to be altered. That can influence symptoms during movement. So <clears throat> a very, very simplistic example, if, if I like to be extended and I'm one of those guys that stands upright, fully extended through the chest, because I don't look at the ceiling all day, I've taken my shoulders and brought them, brought them forward. Mm-hmm. So you'll see, you could, it could be anybody, but for, you know, take a, take a guy at the gym that has developed his, pe- his chest, has developed his back, um, but has kind of has rounded shoulders. If I, if I, my arms follow my, the position of my shoulder blades, my thumbs are gonna be pointed in, right? So I'm extended. I'm then rounding my shoulders forward. If I don't, if I don't compensate anywhere, I'm, my hands are rotated in, okay. right? So because my hands do things that are not rotated in, I will externally rotate them at rest. So you'll, you'll see people will present with tightness in a rotator cuff muscle or difficulty moving into a specific range of motion, but it's because they have compensated through various positional biases and movement biases that that is the, that's the root cause of their symptom, not the tension through the muscle. Which is very important to mention because a lot of people like think that you can just get it. Like I just mentioned dry needled out, but if you don't deal with the dysfunction in the posture, it's not going to ever change. Yeah. Um, So that's really important to mention because a lot of people think like you can go to physical therapy and it's you're fixed in like a session. And a lot of people think that I don't, I, I never really thought that, but so it's really important to mention that. All right, continue. Um, but I think to you, I mean, to your point, there's nothing wrong with intervening or dry needling or doing manual therapy on the tight musculature. I think it just needs to be paired with, uh, more, it needs to be a part of a systematic approach. So it needs to be a part of a strength program. It needs to be a part of a re-education program. And as long as, as long as the perspective is broad and you're trying to get to the root of the problem, those localized treatment interventions are, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but from my perspective, from what I see a lot, I have a lot of people that are coming in with pain with golf or pain with overhead press or pain with, um, not as many pushes lately in terms of like bench press, but I've had a handful come in with bench press type pain um which always coincides with pain of reaching for their pot for their wallet in their back pocket or trying to tuck in their shirt so it's it's we've been seeing a lot of that and a lot of my treatment has been 
focusing on from, from the beginning, trying to get the rib cage under control, have it stacked on the pelvis, trying to get a good quality reach with that symptomatic arm, because that helps the shoulder blades sit on the rib cage the way it is designed to. And then once we can do that, then it's just retraining and strengthening. So it could be a unilateral pull. It could be an alternating row. It could be a chop. So then it starts getting more into the strength training and strength and conditioning realm. Once you kind of lay that foundational strength. Oh, wait, can you go over what muscles are involved when you are doing a pressing motion and pulling motion and what can happen if you, your posture's off, which, I mean, I don't think anyone's posture is hundred percent. So can you just go through that? whole? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll try and keep it relatively simple just because entire podcasts can be devoted to kind of the, the overhead movement. Um, but if we're going just with an overhead movement, we're looking at scapular or scapular upward rotation, which is the shoulder blade rotating upwards on the rib cage. What that does is it allows, again, that glenoid, that's the position of the, the arm bone in the shoulder joint to be positioned upward and vertically. So the main mover there, you are, you are going to get your deltoids. Uh, you will get some rotator cuff stability. The rotator cuff musculature is not a huge mover when it comes to load. It's much more stability, uh, has a stability function, but they'll be functioning as well. But in terms of upward rotation, you're going to need your upper traps, your lower traps, and your serratus anterior to act on that shoulder blade. So if my shoulder blade, it's going to be hard. I wish I could share my screen, but my shoulder blade needs to be pulled from the upper traps towards the midline. Mm -hmm. And we have that butterfly upper trap or trap muscle. The lower traps will pull a corresponding down so the upward angle is now moving down and then the serratus will move the inferior angle up along the body so that shoulder blade muscle that shoulder blade bone that scapula is moving in an upwardly rotated direction and what happens when that is like stuck like what muscles are preventing you <clears throat> from doing that because i find it happening a lot especially on my left side and i just think people aren't as aware of that happening and i'll see it in the gym especially like with the rounded shoulders like we were talking about so what muscles or and or tendons are involved in like not allowing that to move properly. Cause I know you said how it's, how it sits on your rib cage. Yeah. So a lot of times there will be, there'll be deficits in the extensibility of the muscles that are tight. So your upper traps will likely be tight. A lot of people are, and that throws off the combination of that movement pattern. So if your upper traps are too tight, your low trap and your serratus won't be able to counter that. So then you'll end up with your shoulder blade, just riding up elevating on your, which is what I see all the time. So, uh, to get into that. So if you, if you're tight in your upper trap up here, what's the best way in your opinion to help release the tension? Is it deactivating? Can you talk us through that? Cause I, I want to say pretty much everyone has super tight traps. Yeah. So what would we do for that? Um, I mean, that's a loaded question. I think there's like a thousand things you can do. Uh, just get a needle and it's done. Yeah, of course. No, everything's fixed with a needle. Um, no, I think that what I will do typically if someone presents with um, really, really toned up upper traps, I typically will, depending on their presentation, start with some manual um, just to get something to calm down. It's not my favorite. I would say by and large, I prefer to try and have movement reduce the tone first. If someone comes in just 
really lit up, they'll start with, I'll start with some manual, but I normally have people on their back on the table or on the, on the floor, feet up on the wall. And I start just with some reaching. And if you can appropriately cue a reaching movement, you're going to get the upper trap to gradually shut off, get the lower trap in the serratus to gradually turn on. And the results when they're done with that exercise is a reduced or a, a, a lowered symptom profile. <clears throat> Would you ever suggest like trigger point balls or anything like that to help reduce like, cause one of my favorite things is, uh, you know, is like to feel like the pain and the pressure to help release the tension. And one of my favorite things to do is use a lacrosse ball or a trigger point ball. Would you suggest that helping too? I don't think I have nothing against those things. I think as long as if you're using those, you you're aware that it's more of a short-term benefit than a long-term benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the research will show that you'll get a little bit of, you'll get some more blood flow to the area, which has oxygen and some regenerative power or regenerative qualities. Uh, you might get a little bit of a thermogenic uh, or a heat, a heat response to the yeah. tissue, whether that's local or not, hasn't really been determined. Um, and you might get some short-term benefit in tissue extensibility, just that it might move a little bit more after you kind of poke and prod at it which is fine and could give, could allow you to do movements that previously were limited. And as long as that's how you program things, you can use the short-term benefit to improve your performance on the next step of the program or the next act- action on the program, which then could give you longer term benefit. Um, so I think lacrosse balls, foam rollers, all of those things are okay as long as they're treated the way that they are designed to be treated, which is more of a short-term benefit rather than like a solution to the problem. That makes sense. Obviously fix the dysfunction and go and see Garrett. He's in Wellesley. Um, so another question. So we talked about the supraspinatus, wait, supraspinatus muscle. What is typically the cause of that getting very tight? Cause I know across the board, a lot of people, even when I go to see the guy to dry needle me or what have you, that gets super tight for people. What's like the most common, like, is it posture? Like, I know it's, it's a loaded question too, but like, is there something that like people do day to day that they need to like think about and fix? I don't know, something to help all of us out there. I mean, I would say just very, very generally speaking, it is posture. Um, it'll get tight when it's being asked to do things in a position that it is not designed to be in. So that would be a postural if the, you know, the shoulders are too far forward, if the shoulders are too far back, if the, it is very active in the first, like, few degrees of abduction or moving the arm away from you that's before your big deltoid kicks in um so it it does at least in my experience it does become more of a postural issue more so than a specific activity issue Mm -hmm. and again i i will say i'm biased in terms of treatment but i do think if you can strengthen and improve your posture uh which is i have an aside to that but strengthen the right muscles and improve your posture you'll you'll kind of work that tissue out. Mm-hmm. Um, the aside that I brought up is when I say improve your posture, I don't mean visibly at rest, people need to change their posture. What I mean is that people need to make sure that they have enough movement options. So you could take the perfect posture that we learned in our anatomy textbooks and somebody Mm -hmm. could stand in that position for eight hours a day and they would still be messed up. (laughs) So it's 
It's far more about making sure that your body and your range of motion is complete, that you can go through spinal flexion, spinal extension, spinal side bending, spinal rotation, shoulder flexion, extension, and be able to go through all of those ranges of motion safely, comfortably, and with the appropriate stability. That's what I mean by improve your posture. And all of that typically comes from a quality strength training program. Another question. So my physical therapist yesterday, um, he does, he's a physical therapy aide. He does a lot of my soft tissue work, which helps me a lot. And he was saying to lay off the lateral raises because of what's going on with me specifically. He also said lateral raises probably aren't the best to be in my program. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I would probably agree. It's a long lever arm for a, a muscle that's clearly flared up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, I think, what are your goals right now? Are you prepping for a competition? No, not yet. Uh, actually prepping for a wedding. Um, so that's happening. But no, I just like, I always want my shoulders to look, I always want everything to be better as a whole. Yeah. That's always my goal. And just density in my shoulders, which I know I can achieve by pressing motions too. But I also notice that it just hits different when I do a lateral raise. So he was suggesting to, you know, increase the volume of my overhead press and just pretty much cut out lateral raises for the time being. So obviously my goal is to have better shoulders because wedding dress and life, but that's why. So you would agree with that too? I would agree with that assessment hundred percent. Increase the volume on the shoulder press, um, whether it be neutral or traditional, um, I, I, don't I love think... those lateral raises. You're killing me. Yeah. Yeah. You're old school for sure. I know. Uh, well, if you go in the gym, like you always see them, that's how I was trained when I was in high school and growing up because mine is a physique goal. I never cared too much about like, Oh, that's probably not the best option for my body until I'm 30 and falling apart, but it's fine. But I think, so again, this is ta- you know, we've touched on in other podcasts. Like if your goal is a physique goal, right. If you're hurt, your main focus right now should be maintaining volume and maintaining right. uh, muscular activity. So if lateral raises are something that is a central tenant to whatever part of your program you're in, at the moment, increase the volume of the overhead press, do the work to address the shoulder pain, and then return back to lateral raises, when in theory, if the work is done appropriately, they will be more effective and more efficient. Okay, fair. I see what you're saying. See, Garrett always puts me in my place in a very, very nice professional way. I'm like, no, I want to do lateral raises. He's like, no, this is why. Okay. (laughs) And then lastly, you see a lot of people tearing their rotator cuff. And I feel like that term is thrown around. And I always think the worst when I'm in pain, especially now, because I'm so self-aware of like pain. I literally was like, oh my God, I must have torn, like freaking out. Can you explain what an actual torn rotator cuff is? Because I know that the recovery is a long time. So can you walk us through what that means to tear a rotator cuff? Um, I think, well, first you have to define the mechanism of the tear, right? Because as you get older, lots of, lots of older individuals have torn rotator cuffs that just are asymptomatic. They're non-surgically indicated. Um, a, a traumatically torn rotator cuff, which would be, you know, whether it be a car accident or a throwing accident or some kind of tr- intense trauma, mm-hmm. you know, that that's going to be defined by a tear in the muscle as, as well as some resection as the two 
attachments slide apart from each other. That's the most extreme sense. And yeah, the recovery is not fantastic. Um, it's long, it's a lot of PT, a lot of kind of activity limitations for the time being, as well as a relatively conservative return to sport. Um, there are also different grades of tear. So you can have mild tear, which is what we would all probably consider a strain mm -hmm. all the way up. And, and it's different, it's graded differently based on the, the degree of injury to the tissue, as well as the degree of resection of those two pieces. Um, in an atraumatic injury, and depending on the patient profile, is not always required for surgery. People can function. The, sh like the shoulder has a lot of muscle surrounding it that can act and compensate in a way that typically people can live a functional life without pain, even with, take the supraspinatus, for example, people have torn supraspinatuses that have resected in us physical therapists can feel that muscle bulk further away from its attachment site, but they're able to move. They're able to do whatever they want to do. So that's, it's more dependent on. The and they can live that way. Yeah. I mean, it depends on their goals, right? Like if they're, if they have that and they're trying to push weight overhead, they probably can't do that. But if they're, you know, trying to live and trying to just generally stay fit and stay do plyometrics or whatever their, their, baseline of goals are yeah it's 100 likely that they could do that without surgery interesting because my physical therapist was like you probably have like a mild strain and i'm like wow it really like hurts for a mild strain and then i was like am i not allowed to work out and he's like you can still work out as long as you're warming up the shoulder all right actually last question suggestions for warming up your shoulders for an upper body day, whether it's a push day or a pull day, any exercises and indoor movements that you would suggest everyone do before they work out? Because I always see people, and this is me, me included, not now, but like run in and just start working out. Um, and there's so many options. Um, I would like, say Amanda, there's 75 of them. I'm not going to go through them all uh, right now. Push, a push or a pull day. I think personally, I really like uh, a hook lying overhead pull over or pull through. So lying on your back with your feet on the ground, really setting the ribs down. So your abs are on and your tailbones underneath you. Oh, I've seen you do I, this. The same way I describe it. Every podcast we've been on and then keeping the arms straight as you bring them back overhead. You'll get air into the back of the rib cage. You'll get a stretch through the lats. You'll get that shoulder blade that we were talking about more congruent on the rib cage and you'll light up the abs as well. So you'll walk out of there feeling a little bit more mobile. Mm -hmm. um, that's always a good one. I really like an arm bar. So just laying on your ground on the ground with a kettlebell in your hand, pushing into a reach and then just rotating the arm forward and backward into ex internal external rotation that gets a little bit of load through the shoulder. You start building some tolerance into the rotator musculature. Um, and then actually I've really liked bear crawls. So really, really slow, very controlled um, four point bear crawls are great for shoulder stability. Really? I've never like been told to do bear crawls before for any type of shoulder mobility or anything. Well, if you think about it, you're obviously bearing weight through the arms. Yeah. So you have to stabilize there. And if you can cue the appropriate stability, your abs are going to be on the serratus is going to be on to maintain that shoulder blade position on the rib cage. Mm -hmm. And then as you're advancing over your arm, your shoulder has to tolerate the load through varying angles of stress. So it's not, it's a pretty solid warm up for a 
a push or pull day and you could do forward and backward side to side um you just uh, programmed my warm-up for today thank you you're welcome <laughs> um that's actually all the questions i have for today i think you talked a lot about you know the muscles involved <laughs> in pushing and pulling how to fix your posture over time programming in like you know, trigger point therapy, but also working on the dysfunction. Is there any other things you want to add to shoulders in general? Cause I, obviously it's a very important topic. Um, I would just say that a good cheat, if, if someone's not feeling like hundred percent in their shoulder, a good cheat is doing alternating unilateral movement. So an alternating dumbbell floor press or an alternating chest supported row is going to give you kind of a a low level therapeutic benefit without the thought process that goes into it. You could still load it. You could still get some, uh, some stimulus through the musculature that you're looking for, but you're going to get some rotation through the rib cage and ask the shoulder blade to move in the way that you want it to. So that, that wouldn't be a bad thing to program. Awesome. Thank you so much, Garrett. All right, guys, thank you for listening to today's podcast with Garrett on shoulders. If you could, share this podcast with a friend. I truly appreciate it. And Garrett, thank you so, so much for continuing with this physical therapy series. We'll see you all on the next one. Have a good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are.